Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to the Life Canton podcast. My name is Jared, and I'm one of the pastors here. And today, uh, what we're doing is just going through a brief section of Mark chapter 12, uh, because we are in a sermon series on the book of Mark. Uh, This will only be a podcast. This is not going to show up in a video. Uh, Part of the reason we're doing this is because baptisms are taking place on August 27, and uh, that's because we we had a whole bunch of people sign up for baptisms. And so we had to kind of adjust our calendar a little bit, but we've got some other things that we need to do in the fall as well. So we're actually not going to be doing Mark 12 on a Sunday. We're going to go right to Mark 13 in the following Sunday and then continue on with some other fall planning stuff. So um, here we are, Mark chapter 12, and uh, you're going to hear from me just a, a brief sermon and devotion and maybe some action steps uh, to go along with that. So if you want to get right to it with me, you can join me. If you have a Bible, you can go to Mark chapter 12, verses 13 to 17. It starts like this. Later, the leaders sent some Pharisees and supporters of Herod to trap Jesus into saying something for which he could be arrested. Teacher, they said, we know how honest you are. You are impartial and don't play favorites. You teach the way of God truthfully. Now tell us, is it right to pay to Uh, is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or shouldn't we? Jesus saw through their hypocrisy and said, why are you trying to trap me? Show me a Roman coin and I'll tell you. When they handed it to him, he asked, whose picture and title are stamped on it? Caesar's, they replied. Well then, Jesus said, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. His reply completely amazed them. All right, so let's unpack this just a little bit. First of all, some background on taxes. This isn't um, the same as how we understand taxes and paying the government and working through the IRS. They had a very different system for how their taxes worked. Uh, And specifically, it was incredibly difficult for Jews uh, to have any kind of upward mobility in society because they were just heavily, heavily taxed. So first of all, they, they had a couple different kinds of taxes. They paid their local taxes. There was a temple tax. Um, there was a tax for Herod as well, if you lived in the Galilee area. Um, and so they had all of that. But then uh, what had happened is when the Roman Empire took over, the Romans uh, instituted an entirely different tax as well. And um, just made it very, very difficult for the Jews to get any kind of um, just, like I said, upward mobility or any kind of movement in society. And life was very, very difficult for them. It speaks to their uh, impoverished state. And so already there uh, there is massive hatred um, for the Jews to the Romans. And so now they want to understand, okay, Jesus, where are you at with this? Uh, Because this is a responsibility for us. If we don't do this, there's there's legal ramifications. Um, and, and, And then there's followers of Herod as well. Uh, so they're wanting to figure out, like, where does all of that uh, play into this as well? So they want to know um, what this is all about. What, what should we do? What's the right thing to do? And part of the reason why they're bringing this to Jesus is because they're looking to trap him, right? Um, it, 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 Jesus even says that. Why are you trying to trap me? He understands their motivations, even though they're buttering him up. They don't, we don't see this a lot in the New Testament where they come to Jesus and say, we know how honest you are. You are impartial and don't play favorites. You teach the way of God truthfully. Notice, notice they butter him up, even though they're trying to trap him. Why are they trying to trap him? Well, uh, because he is kind of backed into a corner because depending on his answer, 
short sort of shows his cards about where he's going to stand. So if he says, uh, well, yeah, you, you should pay, you should pay taxes to Caesar. If he does that, then he's not being a very good Jew. He's essentially supporting the empire. Uh, but if he says no, then, um, then he essentially gives away his cards to supporters of Herod or to any Roman ears that might be listening and be like, oh, okay, well, this guy's inciting a violent revolution and it's starting with an economical decision. Uh, they're just not going to pay taxes, which means they're going to be revolutionaries. They're going to rebel against the Roman Empire. And so we might as well just go and kill him. So either way, either answer, either he's going he's gonna to show that he's not faithful to his own people, to the Jewish people, or, uh, and as a result, he's, he's definitely not the son of God, or he's not to be respected in the Jewish community, or uh, he's not going to be a legal participant in the Roman Empire, and therefore they're going to want to kill him. So what is Jesus to do? How is he supposed to respond? As we've been learning, Jesus often finds a third way. He doesn't get backed into a corner. Jesus won't be subject to that. He finds a third way. And so he starts with, um, well, first obviously asking the question, why are you trying to trap me? Uh, But he doesn't allow them to answer that question. Instead, he turns it back around to them by simply saying, show me a Roman coin. Now, there's a lot packed into that statement just alone. Show me a Roman coin. What does he mean? Well, anybody got a coin that you can show me? Anybody have uh, one of those uh, pieces of, uh, of currency that you're hoping to pay Caesar with? Here's why that's a big deal. This would have been a major dig. This would have called somebody out. If they were to produce this Roman coin, it meant that they had it. It, it meant that they, um, they essentially were complicit with the Roman Empire simply by possessing a Roman coin. And it would have called somebody out. They would have been extremely bar- embarrassed to sort of pull that out of their, their purse or their, their pocket and to show it to Jesus. So in a sense, he's actually turning the tables on them and backing them into a corner to say, okay, you want to talk about this? Let's see who actually has Roman currency. And they do. They have it. Which means that they themselves are just as hypocritical. Uh, the, the, the people who are saying, we don't support what Caesar is doing. We don't support what Rome is doing. But we have their currency. And they have it. And they show it to Jesus. They produce this coin. And they hand it to him. That's all packed into what Jesus is doing when he says, show me a Roman coin. It's, it's very similar to what Jesus does um, when there are people who bring a woman caught in adultery and they put him before him and he turns the tables and said, okay, yeah, we can stone her. Um, in fact, whoever has uh, no sin in their life, you go ahead and stone her first. Jesus is finding a third way. Show me a coin. Oh, okay. That means you're complicit with the Roman Empire. So you're no better than me. So what does he do? Uh, He takes this conversation just a little bit further. Um, He says, let's talk about whose picture is on it, whose title is stamped on it. And this was a big deal. So also something to understand about um, Jewish custom is that you are not to possess any graven image uh, of any kind. So um, there was debate about whether you have uh, a graven image or a carved image of a plant or a flower or something like that. 
Um, there's debate about whether or not that that was okay. What was definitely not okay was to have a carved or graven image of an of a person. You did not do that. That, and, and according to, you know, the Old Testament, according to Jewish custom, that is not okay at all. And so, additionally, not only do they have this coin, but they have this coin, uh, and this coin that they would have had would have had an image of. Uh, the Caesar at the time. And at the time, uh, the Caesar is Tiberius Augustus. Or, or sorry, Augustus Tiberius. And so that's on one side. They have the image uh, of, of Caesar on one side. So again, points against them, points against the the, the Jewish leaders and the, the Pharisees for even possessing this coin. But also on the back side, um, it would have had an inscription in Latin that would have read Augustus Tiberius, son of the divine Augustus. In other words, what the Romans believed about Caesar uh, was that he was a divine figure. And so if you are the Caesar um, now, you're, you're the son of another Caesar, in which case this uh, Tiberius is the son of Augustus, Caesar Augustus, He's the son of God, essentially, in Roman thinking. So not only, not only do you have a graven image on one side of the coin, and so you're, you're not a good Jew, essentially, if you're doing that, um, but on the other side, you have a title saying that this person is the son of God in Roman language, basically. Th- this is like all kinds of blasphemy for, for any Jew to not only possess this, um, but to subscribe to this, to hold on to this. And so them trying to trap Jesus into a corner, he actually exposes their complicity with the empire, showing them how ridiculous this conversation is. That it's actually not about the tax policy. This isn't even about whether we should pay taxes or not. Jesus is turning around this entire conversation and bringing it back to what the tax represents. In other words, he goes on to say, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. None of this matters. That's Caesar's money. I don't care. Give it back to him. It's not ours. That's not how we identify. Instead, give to God what is God's. Well, if we continue that conversation about a graven image or a stamped image, what is he saying here? What do, what do the taxes represent? And what do we as human beings represent? In other words, what Jesus is saying is, you are stamped with God's image. We, we could say it this way. Your identity is claimed or reclaimed in him. You are God's. You are not your own. You are not Caesar's. You are not the empire's. You are not your nationality. You are God's. You bear God's image on you. You are a reflection of the creator, of the divine. And you are to uh, imitate, copy the son of God, the son of the divine. Copy Jesus, imitate Jesus, and give to God what is God's. You are God's. So you live out the life that God has called you to live. You can give to Caesar what is Caesar's. You can give to our American culture what belongs to our American culture, but it doesn't impact your identity. I don't have to be afraid of fighting against culture and 
trying to decide what policy is more Christian or less Christian. I, I can operate within a system while not being defined by the system. In other words, as I give to God what is God's, well, what is God's? Well, I am God's. You are God's. I belong to him. You belong to him. His image is stamped on us. Then I can give to him myself. I give myself to God for God's purposes, to operate in God's economy. And the currency in God's economy isn't taxes, isn't coins, isn't dollar bills. God's economy's currency isn't relegated to any of that or any job titles or any degrees. The currency in God's economy is the currency of the fruit of the Spirit. It is love, it's joy, it's peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's the currency that operates in God's economy. Those are the kinds of things that I'm defined by. His image is stamped on me. Jesus is telling this group of people, this isn't about a taxing policy. That's not what we're going to talk about. You're going to talk about that, but I'm not going to talk about that. I'm going to change the definition uh, essentially taking uh, a line from John Smith's message a couple weeks ago, whose you are determines who you are. And I'll take it a step further. It determines what you do with who you are. Here's what I want you to take away from this message. Um, I've been paying attention to the news a little bit, just reading the news, watching the news. Uh, I don't make it a, a, a regular habit. Um, but I'm also just paying attention to what's going on in our culture, in our world. And you may or may not know this, and you may or may not like it. <laughs> but we are approaching another election year in just a few months. And it always starts to get ramped up earlier and earlier. Uh, but 2024 is not too far around the corner. And it is the potential for more pressure and volatility and the pressure of being potentially backed into a corner. This happens every election year, I think. That Christians are sort of um, on, the, on the edge trying to figure out what they should say or not say or where they should stand or how they should vote and what they should talk about and not talk about. I don't want us to find ourselves backed into a corner where people try to label us or pigeonhole us into a particular way of thinking or saying certain kinds of things that, that are very black and white, that it's, it's either you're this or you're that. We've, we've heard people say that all the time, right? Like if, you're, if you truly are a Christian, you would vote this way or that way. Let's not fall into those traps. Instead, let's copy the way of Jesus. Let's, let's turn the tables a little bit. Let's not make it about a particular politician or a particular piece of legislation or a particular policy. We don't have to subscribe to our cult culture's way of being. It's not about our empire or the system that we live in. That's not what identifies us. That's not what defines us. We are defined by the image that is stamped on us. That's God's image. We are created in God's image. And so we can supplement our conversations with tasty fruit of the Spirit, a different kind of currency, if you will, and season every conversation that we have with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, 
faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. In other words, what I believe Jesus is telling his disciples, his followers, is to say, look, you're, you're in this dualistic world, right? You're in the world, you're in this system, but you're not defined by it. You're not defined by it. You can participate in this worldly system without being defined by it. And there are some things that we just have, we have to do, we have to operate within in terms of legal ramifications, in terms of just cultural things that are expected of us. But it doesn't mean that we have to d- sort of walk away from our faith or somehow define ourselves by something other than our faith in Jesus. We don't have to get anxious about fighting culture wars. We don't have to try to decide who's in and who's out. That's not our responsibility. But we season our conversations with love. If we identify injustices, we speak against those and instead produce love, peace, joy. If I can give you any encouragement, be the encouragement of Jesus that you belong to God. You are his Operate in his economy, in his way of being. I encourage you to um, have conversations around this with a loved one, with a significant other, with those in your household, and maybe consider the question, what does it look like to operate in God's kingdom economy? How does that work? How do we balance that with the expectations that we have in this world? What are some of the barriers to to following the way of God that actually keeps us um, from from living in this world that actually make it really challenging uh, to balance those things? How do we do that? How do we do that well? How do we do it in a way that is loving? And what happens when it breaks the rules sometimes? What does it look like to, as one uh, former politician said, getting into good trouble? What does that look like? I want to encourage you um, with this word today and and pray um, that you continue to be defined by God, that you reclaim your identity in him, in Jesus, and bear the torch of Christ's justice and love. And Jesus is calling them to really think about what that looks like. And I believe he's calling us to think about what that looks like as well. I pray that you are encouraged as you go throughout your day. Um, If you're hearing this before Sunday, August 27, we look forward to seeing you for New Life Sunday. If you are hearing this after New Life Sunday, then come back again for Mark chapter 13, as we are going to be talking about some much more complex stuff because Jesus talks about the future. What does the future hold? Have a wonderful rest of your day, and we'll see you back here soon.